Hey, it's Bill Simmons. I wanted to tell you about a new podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. It's going to be on the Ringer Reality Podcast. What's it called, Johnny Bananas? Death, Taxes, and Bananas. We're going to be breaking down this season of the challenge, Hall of Fame episodes, and I'm going to be taking you behind the curtain of America's fifth major sport. Are we getting special guests? We're going to have special guests. We're going to have special effects. The show's just going to be special. <laughs> I can't wait. Check it out. Death, Taxes, and Bananas on the Ringer Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm personal price plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Sonic. You know, it sounds good after a long day. Ice cream. I love ice cream. Right now is the perfect time to get some. Sonic has half price shakes every night after 7 p.m. when you order online or in the app. Just think of it. All that creamy, soft serve, hand mixed with your favorite flavors for half the price in any size. Listen, a lot of people like goofy shakes. I like vanilla shakes. You can throw 40 flavors at me. You know what I'm going to order? You know what I love the most? vanilla shakes. It's perfect because me and my family, at least once a week, we still all get ice cream together when we're together. Grab Sonic Half Price Shakes after 7 p.m. now. Exclusions apply. Available for a limited time only at participating Sonic drive-ins. We're also brought to you by TheRinger.com as well as The Ringer Podcast Network. We are now in the 200s with the rewatchables. Chris, this is what I do. I get people out. Argo is next. Our embassy has been seized. Six of the hostages got out. I need you to help me make a fake movie. You need a script. You need a producer. I fly into Tehran. We all fly out together as a film crew. Right. You have 72 hours to get them out. This is what I do, and I've never left anyone behind. I know who they are. It's over, Tony. Let's go make a movie. Argo, rated R, starts October 12th. Chris Ryan is here. My name is Bill Simmons. This is a movie, Argo, that we covered pretty extensively in Grantland in 2012. Yeah, it, it was, was probably like one of the real first Grantland movies, right? Yeah, we had... Um, we launched in June 2011, so we missed the Oscars that year. Um, and then 2012 was kind of our first Oscars. And then 2013 was like our first real Oscars. We had Fantasy was there at some point. We had Zach, the great Zach Barron was writing for us. He wrote our Argo review. Yeah. We had Wesley writing our 2013 Oscars because we had hired him by that point. And we were all in and we were doing podcasts, stuff like that. The category had expanded a few years earlier. People really cared about this stuff. There was this whole generation of uh, people who kind of knew the history of things and Oscar snubs and stuff like that. And this movie, it hit, it checked all the boxes. People loved it. It was an old school Hollywood movie. It got nominated for Best Picture. And then Affleck didn't get nominated for Best Director. And it turned out to be the best thing for the movie because um, all of a sudden the narrative became about that and it sneaks in. It wins Best Picture, which I think we'll, we'll litigate in a little bit. But I think about this. It, to me, this was the Affleck comeback being complete from right. the dog days of J-Lo and Gigli. 
and uh, rock bottom in the mid two thousands. We're back with it. Yeah, we're back. We ha- he has. You gone, could argue baby. that his comeback is now complete because he's. Yeah, he, it's true. Now it's really back because it was J Lo. But he directed Gone Baby Gone. Good stuff. Mm-hmm. Good first director effort. Uh, he's in state of plays in the company man. He's starting to try to reestablish stuff. Then the town happens, which we've already done. One of the best rewatchables we've done. He directed, starred, great movie. Then directs Argo, and it wins Best Picture. And he goes up. He gives a speech. He becomes a sympathetic figure. He does Gone Girl with Fincher. Uh, I think a year and a half later, but this this was complete. Where he's a real filmmaker now. This was like these weren't two fluke movies. These were. Three really well-crafted movies, including Argo, which has the legacy of the 1970s, all these great movies we grew up with, like Parallax View and all those. Um, And what's weird is he hasn't really directed anything great since. Right. Did you think after this, didn't you feel like we were going to get an Affleck-directed movie every two, three, four years? It felt like he was like an A-list director, and he only did one after this, and it was, what was that one called? Live by Night? Live by Night. A Didn't do well, and that's it. Yeah. Hasn't yeah. directed since. It's kind of a bummer. Well, it's tough, man. I mean, so I was going to say to you, do you, I wanted to ask you if you thought that Argo winning Best Picture is why it hasn't shown up earlier in the rewatchables. Because I feel like winning Best Picture actually kind of dimmed its 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 rewatchability, even though it's a compulsively rewatchable movie, and it mm. like wasn't talked about as much. Because you, when you get those Oscar movies, you typically talk so much about them for six or eight months, and you're just constantly pitting them against another movie, and you're talking about which Argo or Django or Silver Linings Playbook or The Master or whatever, and then you're like, I'm fucking done with it. I don't want to yeah. talk about this movie for three years or four years. And I almost feel like Argo is way closer to Ocean's Eleven than it is The Master. You know what I mean? It's way more fun to talk about Argo and to watch Argo over and over again and catch it on HBO or Cinemax or whatever than it is as like um as a piece of art or as like a as like a like a kind of critical football that you would talk about. As far as Affleck's directing career, I mean obviously some personal stuff, right? Yeah. And then I just look, man, they just don't make those movies anymore. They just don't. They don't make movies like that. And Clooney has tried over and over again and, and often failed with the kind of movies he wants to direct. And I just think that probably if Affleck wants to keep directing movies, he's going to probably want to make them for a streamer. You talk about the rewatchability of Argo and why we haven't done this yet. It's funny. It reminds me of Spotlight, which we did. Mm-hmm. For some reason, you and I, we we just, we talked about Spotlight more. I think because there's... It had a really good Netflix run. That's why it had it a great like, Netflix run, but yeah. it also there was the all the president's men piece of it, and then journalism taking mm-hmm. a bigger importance in the mid two thousand tens, and then it had the Ruffalo speech, which was one of the original rewatchables categories for sure. overacting. They knew Robbie. <laughs> they, <laughs> they let they it knew. happen. And they cut those kids loose. <laughs> um, the uh, the Catholic so- Church motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> and it had crude up, and it was just, but in Argo, I. I hadn't watched it for a couple years. And then it was on the HBO Cinemax rotation and I got sucked in. Yeah. And I watched it. And then I watched it again two weeks later. I watched like the last hour of it. And that was when I texted you and I'm like, Argo. Yeah. It's yeah. It's kind of brewing now. And I'd kind of forgotten how great it is. And it really is like we have the access to all these great movies from the 70s. And Redford's in a lot of them, but there's this whole era that we've talked about before of you know, as the Nixon presidency and this whole distrust of Washington. And it just leads to some great art. It leads to some really, really awesome movies that from like 72 to 79, 
there's like 12, 15 of them. And they're in mm-hmm. all different forms, right? There's Invasion of the Body Snatchers. They do, they go that route. Three Days of the Condor. Three Days of the Condor. Yeah. That's the easy route. But then like, even like Capricorn One, where it's like, did we fake the moon landing? It's all about distrust, which is the era we're in now. Argo is a throwback to those. It's a movie that it's set in 1979 and feels like it could have been made in 1981. Yeah, he he did a lot of stuff with the filmmaking that was very consciously trying to like sh- ape Gordon Willis photography from those seventies. He talks about all the LA stuff in Argo is supposed to look like Killing of a Chinese Bookie, this Cassavetes movie. So Affleck knew his shit. It's funny that you talk about the distrust thing though, because the heroes of this movie are a CIA agent. You know what I mean? Right. Like we distrust like in all those seventies para- like Parallax View, Three Days of the Condor type movies, the enemy. The bad guy is the government. The bad guy is is the intelligence services. And in Argo, it's like the ingenuity and genius of this guy who even though, you know, his own government is tripping him up in different places and is like at the last second trying to pull a fast one and take away the plane tickets. Tony is still, you know, like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get these guys out. But, you know, I mean, we can also get into the historical accuracy of Argo and whether or not well, yeah, we'll that matters. It. That's good. That, there's some issues there. Wesley Morris writing for the Boston Globe because he wasn't at Grantland yet. And he wrote a review and he said, um, quote, this is 2012, Affleck is the first actor since Warren Beatty's generation of stars to make a persuasive case for himself as an honest-to-goodness Hollywood filmmaker. Mm -hmm. And that's why I mentioned the Affleck stuff at the top. Like, he became too famous again. Well, Batman He does Gone Girl and then Batman happens. And his, you know, he's married, he's got kids, but he has completed this incredible Hollywood comeback. And at some time, at some point, you you kind of lose your way a little bit, and I think he lost his way a little bit with this filmmaker side. Because I know, as I talked to him about it, I've obviously have interacted with him a bunch of times. But in that 08 to 2012 range, it was like somebody going back to ground zeros. He was like yeah. Rocky and Rocky Three of like I've got to go back to what got me in this business. I love movies. I want to start making them. I want to start telling stories. And then he just became too famous again. And I think we've seen that happen with some people. It, it didn't stop Warren Beatty. He still directed movies and kept making them. Um, I really hope he makes another one. I, I would love to see another Affleck movie. I mean, he was originally going to direct the Batman movie that he was going to star in, Man which eventually Steel, yeah. collapsed. Well, he, he's, in the, he's in Batman versus Superman, which we don't have to talk yeah. about. But then he was going to make his own Batman movie, which I think was probably the carrot that was dangled in front of him. Also, like he might just be a guy... Look, Damon does the same thing where Damon's made, you know, four born movies and and Affleck was was off making these Batman movies and maybe he convinced himself that he was going to get to execute his creative vision as like the director of Batman. But I I it's a shame because like I do think that Warren Beatty is a perfect comparison where he just has a popular sensibility but like a real filmmaker's eye. And the cool thing about the town and Argo is his performances in those movies are much different than the person he was in Armageddon yeah. and Boiler Room and shit like that. Like he has completely turned down and turned off that part of like his movie star part and has gotten into just being like, I'm gonna let Jeremy Renner or Alan Arkin be the most sensational part of this movie. Yeah. And then one of the reasons I love Argo. Is cut, you know, I think Affleck's like us. He's he grew up watching these movies. And this is an homage to a lot of those movies, which I think why I like it so much. Um, and why it's so much fun to rewatch, because it takes you back to this time, ironically, mm-hmm. the 70s. 
And there's an element of like, it's just suspenseful the whole time. And there's parts that shouldn't even really be suspenseful, but there's always this, you know, this music in the background and you always feel like you just like, you need a shower after the movie ends, you know, yeah. every single piece of it is gripping. That's because Scoot McTerry has smoked 74 cigarettes in two oh, hours. <laughs> great job by him. Well, it's, they give us the, he does the opening credits, which are great. And it sets up the Shah and why what this whole event was in like three minutes, really done well. And then we're right there. They're storming mm -hmm. the embassy. There's like, there's no fucking around. We don't have like the scene of Tony Mendez at his son's Little League game and his wife being mean to him. Like we're right. we're in. We're in 1979. The embassy is about to get stormed and we're off. And now we gotta get the, we gotta save these people. And I just feel like a lot of a lot of the movies now, they fuck that up. They've got to go bigger. This movie's two and a half hours in the wrong hands. And we're setting up these backstories and we're getting we're getting more Canadian embassy scenes with the six where they're having dinner and they're like, you know, my dad, my dad loved baseball. I, what I wouldn't <laughs> give to go to Yankee Stadium tomorrow. And like those kind of dumb scenes. And it's like, fuck it. No, we, this movie has one objective. These people need to get home. We're getting yeah. them home. And they're in an unsafe place. And if we don't get them home, they're going to be decapitated in front of 10,000 people. Right. And I think that the other thing that this movie does is that if you, if you, do, if you take all the, um, the people working in the embassy and you spend a ton of time on their backstory and how do these two meet and they love each other and they want to have kids, but these two haven't or whatever, then you don't actually have enough time to do what Affleck does, which is essentially make three separate movies. He's got the Washington, D.C. spy movie. Yeah, Titus Welliver and Kyle Chandler and Brian Cranston and Chris Messina. So that's one ensemble. Then he has the Hollywood movie, which is obviously demonstrably the best part of the movie yep. with Alan Arkin and John Goodman. And then he's got the Tehran movie, which is the movie with Clea Duvall and Scoot McNary and Tate Donovan. He's got three whole ensembles in the movie. And most people wouldn't be able to fit that because they would be spending so much time with character building or whatever. But he's just like story, 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 story. Everything is in service of this story. And it's only until the very end when he Spielberg's out and ends the movie like five times that he loses like hold of the, of the, of the whole plot. Yeah. That, ironically, that's the worst part of this movie is that it has four endings. Yeah. Is that like he feels the need. He's got to go see Taylor Schilling at, at the house and hug her in front of the American flag. It's like we got it, man. You you won. I would have cut that. Yeah, that was that was in my notes. Uh, so Affleck gets robbed. It's the first movie in twenty three years to win the Oscar for Best Picture without being nominated for Best Director. The one previously was Driving Miss Daisy, which of course should not have won. But Argo was the I think was the betting favorite going into this. It was Oscars. Yeah, this was a funny Oscars because this is the Seth MacFarlane Oscars. So this was like. I think this was like one of those, like, we're going to try something different. Everybody was like, oh, Jesus. Yeah, like, what the fuck <laughs> is this? It was the first winner since Grand Hotel in 1932 to not have been nominated for Best Director or Elite Acting category. So it, it was 81 years since that had happened. And, you know, the category was bigger. And we could go through it now really quickly. Mm -hmm. We have Amour. Mm -hmm. Not a comedy. Beasts of the Southern Wild, <laughs> Django Unchained, La Miserable. Lay, yeah. Lay Miserable. <laughs> yeah. Life, Life of, of Pi, Pi. Yeah. Lincoln, Silver Linings Playbook, and Zero Dark Thirty. Right. Good year. Good year. Nice, nice mix of movies. And I, I think it was also an Oscars year where 
everybody decided who was going to win the Oscar five different times during the year. Remember, it was like, oh, Lincoln's winning everything. Well, the and day then, that when they first started coming, like the early reviews of Zero Dark Thirty came out, they, people were like, this is going to be the, this is going to win director and picture. And then, like, then it Django, started, it's like, oh, Django's winning. Right. So, and then it was like, no, it might be, actually, it might be Silver Lang's playbook. Yeah. It might steal it. It's, it's, it's a Hollywood type of movie, but ultimately, Argo, the, it had two things going, it had three things going for it. It had the snub. It had um, just an old school Hollywood movie that um, was the kind of movie everybody grew up with, so they loved that. And then the third piece was all the inside Hollywood jokes. Like it yeah, has a, it, literally it's about has how a WGA Hollywood saves joke the there. world. It's yeah. how Hollywood saves a bunch of people's lives. Yeah. So it has all that inside baseball stuff. But best director was Ang Lee, Life of Pi, one. The guy from Amore, Beasts of Southern Wild, Spielberg for Lincoln, David O. Russell for Silver Linings Playbook. Probably getting rid of Beasts of the Southern Wild. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think PTA, probably sending that one packing. Paul Thomas Anderson got robbed here too for Master. Well, Master didn't get nominated for Best Picture either. Yeah, so weird year. There was snubs. There was uh, terrible stuff happening left and right. For Best Supporting Actor, Alan Arkin got nominated for Argo. Did not win. Christopher Waltz, Christoph Waltz won. But um, that was a loaded category too. That had him, Arkin, De Niro, Philip Seymour Hoffman, and Tommy Lee Jones. I've heard That's of all a, of those people. Yeah, that was an awesome category. Pretty good stuff. Um, all right, so Affleck gets involved with this movie late. Initially, it's a George Clooney thing. It's a 2007 Wired article by Joshua Bierman. It's called The Great Escape. And Clooney's company wins the bidding war for it. And Clooney decides, I'm going to write and direct. I'm going to be Tony Mendez. And at some point, he starts making other movies. I think he made The Descendants. The script exists. This guy's also Chris like somewhere Terrier around there. It. He does Syriana somewhere around there, which is essentially like a very Tony Mendez part. Right. And now he's like, hmm, well, hold on. So the script is out there by Chris Terrio. It ends up on the blacklist mm-hmm. in I think 2010. And then uh and then finally Affleck gets involved and uh and and they start making it. The irony of Clooney wanting to write and direct it is this is exactly the type of movie he sh- I mean star and direct this was the ultimate George Clooney how did he not make this he I think his directing has been pretty bad for the most part like considering he's gotten a lot of swings at it and I just don't think he's been a good director but this movie him starring at the Tony Mendez part it would have been perfect for him right he's yeah. basically playing the out of sight guy maybe a little less charming but a little like sneaky trying to solve stuff and uh and you know, if he couldn't have directed this movie at a high level, we would have known once and for all that he wasn't a good director. Yeah, but it's tough one Me- for him. The Mendez part, the way Affleck plays it, which I'm sure we'll talk about, is interesting because the way Affleck does it, you can kind of see why he would be ignored in in the in that building, right? Like you have to basically play a guy who is down on his luck, but not in like a lovable way. Like he is actually just being ignored by his bosses. He's probably out to see professionally. It's kind of hard sometimes. Like Clooney is an overwhelming charm guy. Like yep. it would be hard to believe that Clooney would like not get picked first in class at in the office kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like people would be like, oh, let's see what Tony wants to do. So yeah, I think that Affleck did something really cool with his performance in this movie. Yeah, I you just identified the biggest problem with Clooney as an as a major actor is he's always George Clooney. Yeah. It's tough to see him. Like it would have been he's hard Danny to see him as Tony Mendez. Yeah, if you he saw just that. You just be like, it's Danny Ocean. He's he's gonna get these guys out. And when he veers away from that, it's usually like a part like The Descendants, mm-hmm. 
where he's still, it's beaten down George Clooney, but it's always George Clooney. Sure. You know, like Denzel, who's usually some version of Denzel in a movie, but he he can also throw curveballs and he could be like... He does this year in flight. Like he right. plays a, an alcoholic uh, commercial airline flight pilot who, who pulls off this crazy move in his plane. We get drunk Denzel in that movie. We get... And he got game. He's like incarcerated, pissed off at the world. Denzel, like he could, he figured out variations of himself that that, that I don't think Clooney ever did. Yeah, that's good. That's a good way. To well, put he's it. also one of the greatest actors we've ever had. So maybe <laughs> it's not fair to compare, them, compare them. But I think you're right with Affleck. What's so interesting about him as an actor? We talked about him as a director, but as an actor, he's been able to play like the Gone Girl guy. He's been able to play the character actor, Goodwill Hunting, like the guy's fuck up, asshole buddy guy. And he can kind of lose himself in this Argo part. And I, some of the criticism with him and Argo was it was too muted. I know. Well, that, like, that he, he didn't want to be a big enough star in it, but I actually think he played it pretty well. He's only got like two flashy scenes pretty much in this movie. Like there's when he's at the conference table and they're presenting bikes or they're like, maybe we'll try and get them out as farmers or teachers. And he's like, you're going to have to follow them for 300 miles with a, with a tire patch kit or like with a bike pump. Yeah. And there, there's that scene. And there's pretty much like when he first meets all the, the people from the embassy and is like, I get people like I'm Kevin Harkins and right. I get people out. Other than that, all of the flashy stuff in this movie are is either Arkin, Goodman, Scoot McNary, or like Kyle Chandler. They get or all the, the music. Scene and, yeah. and the music and the soundtrack. Yeah. Yeah. Affleck didn't write himself the scene where he's screaming on the phone to uh Brian Cranston. Right. You better get these ticket plane tickets for me, or I'm gonna have six heads that won't have bodies attached to them. Right. The only thing he says is like I I'm responsible. That's it. That's like the most mute. Like it's such a muted thing. If that's another actor, maybe they're like, "No, I want to be like I'm responsible." You know, like it's it's that instinct probably helped that he was directing it. He knew what the movie needed. Well, it helped that he came up with one of the weirdest hairdo beard things. <laughs> it really didn't seem like Affleck. After a while, you kind of forget it was Affleck. He, has he a looks moment. like he plays like he's the backup third baseman for the '81 Pirates. <laughs> <laughs> he's like hanging out with Ten Kent Tacovi at night. <laughs> Right. Yeah, he he looks like he's right out of that 79 to 81 range in a yeah. way that um I just don't think a lot of actors would have said, like I don't see Clooney with that hairdo. I think ultimately yeah. he's just not doing it. Do you know um, how like when you Damon used to get like baseball cards from that era and you it would yeah. be like a rated rookie and you'd be like isn't this guy like look like he's 51? <laughs> like but it would be like some right. guy who just got called up by the Mariners. Yeah, that Twitter account which is great Super 70 Sports. Yeah. I have that one bookmarked and he's that's one of his wheelhouse things is some of the <laughs> the hair mustache afro stuff that was going on back then and they really nailed that. So uh this movie ends up getting seven nominations. It won for best picture, best adapted screenplay, and best film editing. And uh forty four point five million dollar budget made two hundred and thirty two point three million bucks. Yeah. With no chance of a sequel. You know, I, I forgot to mention this. Because I'm older than you, and I think it's a really important piece to this. One of the reasons I like this movie so much is the Iran hostage crisis, I think, was the biggest thing of my entire childhood. Probably that and when we beat the Russians in the Olympics in 1980. Mm -hmm. I think those were the two defining things that happened when I was like... I don't know, age nine, age 10, age 11, that range. At that range. So was it, the, did it lead the news every night for a year? Yeah, it was, it was massive. That it's what led to Nightline. That was like mm -hmm. day 30. Um, 
it's what led to the gas, the gas prices got all fucked up. So that became a whole thing. And it was the first time I could remember as a little kid feeling like, oh, it's not all safe here. Mm -hmm. It's not like we had stuff like we had a huge blizzard in Massachusetts in 1978. And it was like, things shut down for three weeks, but it, they, you always felt safe at least. I never no, felt like yeah, we were I mean, you, blow you, were, up. you were kind of growing up in that post-Vietnam era where yeah. you probably aren't thinking about that. Yeah, I, I well, know I wasn't thinking about like I was in jeopardy and the, right. the hostage crisis. And it's like, wait, so they took our people and we're not getting them back. And there's this, you know, at the time I'm thinking this crazy Ayatollah Khomeini, he's got this scary beard. Like, is he going to blow us up? And why can't we get these guys back? And it tied into, I was... I was uh, a big poli-sci history guy in college and I loved the Carter presidency. It was so fascinating to me. Like, I, I really do think his heart was in the right place, but he was just the wrong president at the wrong time. He had terrible people around him and this hostage crisis became the death of him. He couldn't figure out how to get the people back and we felt like, we felt powerless. That's how David Kahn thinks of his tenure as <laughs> right. T-Wolf Wrong place at wrong time. <laughs> My heart was in the right place. But fucking um, Simmons wouldn't stop ragging on me. <laughs> right. God damn it. If it had just been three years later. But um, but I'm glad this movie exists because even you see it throughout the thing, like this was the most important thing going on for a year. Do you remember any of the stuff that they show in the movie, which is like the tension in America about it? Like the with like people kind of showing up on the news and being like, let's fucking go to war and stuff like that. Cause that's like right around like like Cold War stuff is really starting to truly get ramped up. Like it's not Reagan yet, but it it, it is like, I think that there is a, obviously like a bit of nationalism developing. Right? So I do remember some of this because my mom, I was somehow mentioned how my parents got separated, but my parents were separated and my, my mom's best friend was living with us in Boston. This was 1980. And um, she started dating this guy who they met at some nightclub or something, but he Your was mom's Iranian. Best friend starts dating. My guy. mom's best friend starts dating this guy who's Iranian. Okay, who she dated for two years, who pretended he wasn't Iranian because it was so dangerous to be Iranian. Wow, in uh, in America, so he pretended he was I forget what it was like uh, El Salvadorian or something, and because it was like if I tell somebody Iran I'm Iranian, I'm going to get jumped when I go to my car. Um, but that's, the, that was the level of animosity. And, um, it was the first time, it was the first time I remember like real anger from a mm -hmm. international situation. Obviously it kept happening after that, but, uh, right. but it was the dominant story. So it's cool that the movie exists. And I think like there was real tension that they were going to kill these people and they were, you know, they were going to show it on television, you know, and we, we'd have to have like blurred out. Whatever, like who knew? It just was going in a in the wrong way. So, but I th I, th I was curious whether or not because in the movie, you know, they we understand obviously the whole movie is about these six people who get out of the embassy and get to the get out of the U.S. embassy and get to the Canadian embassy, the Canadian ambassador's residence. But when did you guys become aware that there were these people outside of the hostages who were like? Not until after it was over, right? Or yeah, I don't that. remember. I I was too young. I don't remember the the Argo Six. I don't sure. remember that piece. I remember when the hostages got out and how long it was, and it was so long that you kind of forgot they were there. 
But well, it's a if people are interested in this, I mean, like obviously we'll get into like whether or not like they they obviously like I think based on a true story, based does a lot of work in that for this movie. Yes, it's but there's some based. There's a if if you're if you found this movie interesting, there's tons of really cool stuff to read about it. Like I was reading this morning about the botched rescue attempt that Carter had with the helicopters, and one of the helicopters explodes in the desert. Did you? Oh you yeah, know about that. Yeah, yeah, like I had no idea about that. There's also some good movies that come after the hostage crisis that are kind of tied to the paranoia of just the Middle East being a threat of, you know, stuff with like the CIA, CIA being incompetent, stuff like that. But you had like, there's that movie Missing. Mm-hmm. There's that movie Falcon and the Snowman. There was like this two, three year run of movies like that, these thrillers that were kind of felt newsy for one reason, even like a movie... It's different than what we're talking about, but like a movie like Silkwood. Sure. Um, there was a lot of like, this was fucked up. Here's a story about it. Now they would be documentaries, I feel like. Yeah. For the most part. Um, but yeah, it's weird because the hostage crisis hadn't really gotten its right movie. But um, but you think of like the Munich, the 1972, the Olympics, that whole thing, that, mm-hmm. that was, you know, over and over again, documentaries, anniversaries there were movies about it and um that kept going but the the hostage crisis nobody really figured out until this movie rotten tomatoes 96 percent. just had to mention that because this is kind of a modern movie most interesting thing for us roger ebert four stars yeah said argo the real movie about the fake movies both spellbinding and surprisingly funny and he chose it as the best film of the year and here's why that's important. That was the last time he did that because he yeah. died in 2013. So this was his last film of the year. Our guy yeah, his Raj. last best movie of the year. Yeah. Uh, check out the Cisco and Ebert podcast, by the way. We're going to take a break, then we're going to do the categories. This episode is supported by State Farm. Think about your first reaction after you have an accident. What do you do? You scream, oh no, or man, oh, why did this happen? On the flip side... Let's say you buy a new car or you lease a new car, get in there and it smells great. And you're like, man, this is awesome. But just remember, really, the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor. State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to somebody. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. Spring comes with a lot of chores because, you know, spring cleaning. One thing you can clean up right away, your phone bill. Just switch to Mint Mobile. They have unlimited talk, text, data plans for $15 a month when you buy a three-month plan. $15 a month. That's like you can subscribe to two movie channels for that. I mean, what a great deal. Also, Super easy to switch plans. Everyone gets so intimidated by, oh my God, I don't know if I should switch my plan. It's not that hard. To get this new customer offer, go to mintmobile.com slash rewatch. That's us. That's mintmobile.com slash rewatch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month for a first three-month plan only. Speeds slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. All right, the categories. This will be an interesting one to see who wins most rewatchable scene. First one is obviously the charging of the U.S. Embassy. Follow the embassy, yeah. 
Holy mackerel. Just really good. An awesome, awesome, awesome electric eight-minute scene. I think it's so many small little things. Like the guy picks up the dartboard that has Khomeini, that I told his picture on it. And he's just, he's so mad. I mean, he's just like, what the fuck? And he's... The guy who's commanding the Marines, he's like, I'm going to go out and reason with them. And then he's just like, open the fucking door. Like he gets immediately <laughs> yeah. kidnapped and all the stuff. And then the like, people saying about like, if you shoot one of them, we're, this will be World War Three. We can't shoot anybody. Yeah. We'll, we will all die. Don't fucking shoot anybody. You don't want to be the son of a bitch who started a war. They need an hour to burn the classified. I need you to hold. If you shoot one person... They're going to kill every single one of us in here. They also do a really, Affleck does a really good job. The screenplay does a really good job. And, and the performers do a great job of like, in that moment, you learn everything you need to know about each of the hostages or not hostages, but the people who are going to be on the run. Like Tate Donovan kind of leading them, but is sort of also like an airhead. Scoot, bad locker room guy. Immediate, immediate, like kind of questioning, questioning yeah. the coach. Uh, you know, Clea Duvall, like C- Carrie Bish, like everybody kind of does exactly what they're going to do for the rest of the movie in that opening moment. There's so many good little things. Like even when they go into that one lady's room who gets captured and the guy just takes her glasses off. Yeah. And as a glasses guy, I'm like, oh man, just shoot I know. me. <laughs> just I know. shoot me over taking my glasses. But, and they're trying to destroy all the equipment. It actually reminded me of, when things were going really bad with me and ESPN near the end there, when we had our one hour evacuation plan at the Greatland offices, <laughs> burn everything, burn the computers, burn all the files, but we didn't. They got me at seven in the morning on Twitter. So yeah. we weren't able to uh, execute it. Well, I, but, I was able to destroy your last trade value uh, list. <laughs> uh, anyway, amazing seven minute scene. The next one is Mendez goes in meets with everybody and shoots down every rescue plan. What we like for this is bicycles. <laughs> or you could just send in training wheels and meet them at the border with Gatorade. It's 300 miles to the Turkish border. They need a support team following them with a tire pump. We were just asked to sharpshoot this. State is handling the odds. I'm sorry, who is this? Tony's an Xville special. You got a lot of the Shaw's people out after the fall. Sir, if these people can read or add, Pretty soon they're gonna figure out they're six short of a full deck. It's winter. You can't afford to wait around till spring, so it's nice enough to take a bike ride. The only way out of that city is the airport. You build new cover identities. It's honestly, it reminded me of when Chuck Klosterman used to come to Grantland and we would pitch ideas and he would just shoot down each one of them calmly like Tony Mendez did. <laughs> no, that won't work. No, somebody did that eight years ago. No, and just like all the way through. But, uh, that's the most smarmy kind of wise assy Affleck is in the movie where he's yeah, just, the, you can tell he's so, he's so tired of these guys. This movie, like the, when he's like X fills are like abortions, you don't want to need one, but when you do, you don't do it yourself. You're like, you're basically, <laughs> you're just like this guy, come on, clear out for Affleck. I told Ben not to use that as a high school yearbook quote when he's in <laughs> high school. Like maybe don't put that one in. That scene's really good. There's also a lot of people in that scene. Like, there's yeah. like, oh, that guy. Oh, that guy. And T- Titus Welliver, Zelko yeah. Ivanic. Yeah. Um, next one, I'm combining the Goodman and Affleck, Goodman listening to the plan, talking about how they would do this movie crew thing. And then Goodman slides in there, no, no, you're an associate producer at best. <laughs> you can't build cover stories around a movie that doesn't exist. You need a script. You need a producer. Make me the producer. No, you're 
an associate producer at best. It's such a good, good uh, under the radar dig. But then they go and they meet Arkin, and Arkin's just immediately—he's basically playing Alan Arkin. Yeah. Hi, I only got a couple of minutes. I'm getting a lifetime achievement award. Mazel tov, Lester. Uh, I'd rather stay home and count the wrinkles on my dog's balls. Okay. <laughs> just ripping off lines like that. Um, it's so funny he got nominated for this because he basically got nominated to play Alan Arkin. Yeah, yeah. But at that, that age, that's what you want, you know? Yeah. Great job by him. Um, but I like that combo. And the, the movie, as soon as Goodman and Arkin show up, it's just yeah. like, oh, little levity, little comedy. You get a Hollywood. So he, Everything's outdoors in the sun. Are you including him uh, going to Richard Kind to get to buy the script? In this, that's section. my next scene. Actually, oh Arkin buys the script from Richard Kind for 10k. <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, I was seeing a trade of Vicks. I was enjoying a mai tai when my pal Warren Beatty comes in. He wishes me well. We had a little chat. Seems he was attached to star in Zulu Empire, which was going to anchor that MGM slate. But Warren confided in me that the picture's gone over budget because the Zulu extras want to unionize. They may be cannibals, but they want health and dental so the movie's kaput. Which means that the MGM deal ain't gonna happen and your script ain't worth the buffalo shit on a nickel. So, the way it looks to me, through the cataracts I grant you, is that you can either sign here and take $10,000 for your toilet paper script, or you can go fuck yourself. With all due respect. Good stuff all the way around. Yeah. Then I got, uh, it's short, but... Mendez goes to meet the Canadian Six. This is what I do. Yeah. I get people out. And leading to... That, that's also like a great scoop moment where he's like, that man out there has bad cards. That man out there has got bad cards and he is going to lose. And if he loses, it's our lives. And his life too. Yeah. <laughs> They go out for the scout mission, which is awesome. The bizarre, so intense. The car is surrounded by everybody. Everybody's so angry. Um, I got that. Three more. The uh, it's quick, but Affleck prepping everyone for the airport trip. Some good Affleck in there. Shoot him. He's an American. What's your job on the movie? Producer, associate producer. What's the last movie you produced? Uh, High and dry. Who paid for that? CFDC. What's your middle name? What's your middle name? What's your middle name? Leon. Shoot him. He's an American spy. Yeah, hard, he, tough love, tough, the hard yeah. coaching. That kind of coaching has kind of gone out of style, you know? This I'm including this even though it's like a minute long, but it's just so impressive that he got Zep to give them uh, when the levy breaks. I just can't believe. So did you see the little tidbit about that? Which is Yeah, that, let's like, do it now. I had it in deep, go ahead, do it now. So they got, he got Zeppelin to give him the, to let him use the music, but the way he had shot it was when the levy breaks is on the beginning of the side of a record. And Zeppelin was like, you can use the song, but it has to be accurate when the levy breaks is like the second to last song on that side. Yeah. The, so you have the to needle shoot it, right? of the album has to be closer to so the end of the album. So you have to go reshoot it. Yeah. Which he was fired up to do. I think we should do a narrative podcast about people trying to get Led Zeppelin songs in their movies because it seems like every one of them, there's a story. Like the almost famous has that the best That was like the elite. first time, right? I think was there's it? way more of them where they never would let anybody have music, but almost famous. They wanted stairway to heaven and they ultimately couldn't get the rights because Led Zepp decided, yeah, I'm not really feeling this one, but you can have tangerine. They gave him a couple <laughs> others, but there's this eight and a half minute 
deleted scene where where uh, William is playing Stairway to Heaven for his mom to try to teach her about rock music, and the daughter's boyfriend is sitting next to him and starts getting into the song, and it's incredible. It probably doesn't belong in the movie, but it's incredible. But um, they're just really picky. So when the levee breaks, just hearing that in a in a movie was cool, but the way they use it as the night before. Um, they're about to really try to get out, and but meanwhile things are falling apart back home, and yeah, it's just really it's the perfect song. And and Victor Garber's like, you know, destroy their destroy their passports. It's best if you just don't show up tomorrow. Right, you got the maid creeping around. Uh, next scene is the last minute airport tickets when the tickets aren't ready yet. Cranston's just running around. We got we got great little uh, going back and forth stuff. Affleck just doing the. Would you mind checking again, please? Yeah. Would you mind checking again, please? And then we get into the, what was the purpose of your trip? And it's just from basically the last 20 minutes before we get to the five innings is the best part of this movie. Yeah, Yeah, everything until they say, we're happy to announce that we can serve alcohol because we've cleared Iranian airspace. That like that whole section is just so the celebration montage. Yeah. yeah. So I got two more along those, the uh, explaining to angry beard guy, the premise of the movie where yeah. Scoop McNair is just like, guys, I got this. I clear speak out. Farsi. Yeah. <laughs> clear out. Those men also shoot me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really go for it in these 45 seconds. Beard guy calls Arkin and Goodman. And then we get that whole tension. And then the uh, the they finally finally take off. And we get one of my favorite things, Chris Ryan. The celebration. The montage. celebration. Of course. Ladies and gentlemen, it is our pleasure to announce that alcoholic beverages are now available as we have cleared Iranian airspace. <laughs> <laughs> The Martian also has a great one. Yes. The celebration montages are some of my favorites, but they do a nice job. They, we get to go to like six different places with people celebrating. I So watching this last night, we've talked a couple of times on Rewatchables about celebration montages. Does this celebration montage have the entire spectrum of possible celebrations? From... Oh, interesting. Cranston dry crying. <laughs> Scoot giving the <laughs> I misjudged you handshake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My bad. Uh, straight up like sports celebrations from like Messina who prematurely celebrates and then gets to celebrate again. Like every single person Arkin, gets like a Arkin different... Arkin and Goodman doing like a little dance. Yeah. Like, and then the married great. couple kind of like just complete relief, no celebration. Yeah, yeah. they hit all of it. Uh, what's the most rewatchable scene for you? I'm, I'm going to still go with the presentation of all the different escapes. Like I, I really like a, a bunch of the stuff that's in Tehran, but like when Affleck is just like, when Christmas scene is just like, that that that's a black kid. That's an African kid. When they show him the poster, like it's just an amazing like assortment of actors. That it's really well written. I love that scene. I like from the moment they're in the airport to the celebration montage, and that was how I ended up starting to watch this movie over and over again. Because they can't, you just kept catching that. Yeah, it's like oh, they're going to the airport. All right. Yeah. Um. Okay. What stage the best? Goodman and Arkin. Yes. <laughs> Stop the category. Stop the fight. Just great. That sometimes the casting is just a fifteen out of ten. 
you kind of want like you, they you know when when filmmakers are like yeah you know like it, once we cast the roles everything else was we, it was like five percent more to do that's it like once you get the right people to be in the movie it's not that much that there's not that much more to do and you wonder about how many movies you see where you're like oh if they just cast it a little bit better because this is so perfectly cast but those guys and they could have gotten any number of kind of older warmly received beloved character actors but they get arkin and goodman and they're so fucking good well what's interesting is they don't they don't really use any star power on the canadian six right they mm -hmm. almost went for and they show at the end in the closing credits they went for people that really kind of looked like the six people yeah and none of those actors were famous in any real way so they used the star power on affleck and on arkin and on and then on a you know in goodman and then all the government people but uh great casting goodman you know he's had a really strange tv movie career he's been in a lot of stinkers he's been in a lot of really good movies like it's he has one of the strangest imdbs i think you'll ever look at where he's, he was he, like babe ruth in a movie he likes to work a lot yeah he yeah. just likes to work a lot i mean what you know those guys that make two movies a year they're gonna have hits and misses two but he's making like four yeah he's in flight this year he's in yeah like yeah like he does a bunch of movies a year and he's still on the friggin roseanne spinoff he's at his best when he's in the drama where he can provide a little comedic mm -hmm. respite is usually his wheelhouse uh more would say the best affleck's hair just continues to kill me i hope it comes back the uh, all the inside Hollywood jokes, yeah, that the they Warren sneak Beatty, in. Like, Trader you're worried Vicks. about the Ayatollah? Try the WGA. <laughs> bow, bow. You need, almost need like the drum behind it. Yeah, I like the concept of the intelligence star, the award that you win that there's no ceremony for, and you immediately have to give it back. I was thinking yeah. about doing that for the Ringer, <laughs> <laughs> Chris. I'd like to present you the podcast star of 2021, but, but just, I'm not going to give you the award. I can't dine out on it at all? Yeah, yeah. you can't dine. Don't tell anyone. It's top secret, but you've voted away. I'm just going to start doing that with all just different like, people. Just pin it onto my lapel. That's good. Huge part for a, a cousin of the What's Age the Best for the Intelligence Star, Affleck breaks out the Will Hunting, oh, he fucking did it. He went to go see about a girl face. When Chucky's on the on the porch and he does that kind of wistful, oh, he he left and he does that kind of smile off the side of his mouth. Yeah. Bro broke it back out for the intelligence star. Great <laughs> you job. You know what the best part of my day is? <laughs> we might have to do should we just do that again with Rosillo now that we're in the two hundred? The rewill hunting? Yeah. The rewill re hunting. I think we have to. Uh more what's age of us. The Iran location. I don't I couldn't really totally find out where they filmed all of these scenes. Definitely some of it was in Iran, but um, but I think they might have cheated with some stuff. But man, does it feel like we're in 1979. Well, they do such a good job Iran. cutting together the footage that they're shooting with like news footage. So like that that's another thing that I think he does very well is connect scenes with cutting to Ted Koppel, you know, or cutting to news footage of of Afghanistan or of, 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 of Tehran or whatever. I'm not sure where they shot it. When usually like Morocco is usually the stand-in uh, for a lot of, of, of this region, but I don't know where they shot this. Um, another what's age the best is the decision to make the day of the escape just way more tense. And there's a lot of, you can go on the internet if you love this movie or you want to find out more. There's a lot of think pieces written about the making of this movie and decisions made with it. And over and over again, the theme of, 
those pieces are. They Hollywooded up the yeah. last day that it was actually really easy for them to leave. <laughs> there, I figure we can get into this without getting overly like involved in like the death of Osama bin Laden. But like a really good contrast to Argo is uh, Zero Dark Thirty. They're both really good movies in their own ways. But like Argo, I think very much relied on like this is based on a true story. And Affleck, to his credit, was relatively upfront where he was like, look, like I took liberties. It, it, it is in its yeah. essence true, but I definitely made, tried to tell a very effective story. I think it's obviously tough if somebody comes out of that movie and is like, that's what happened. There was this guy and there was like a moment at the bazaar where like they almost got jumped and then like there was, you know, the revolutionary guard chasing their plane and stuff like that. That didn't happen. That's that's obvious. But like, then you have Zero Dark Thirty, which I think did actually purport to be like more of a documentary. You know what I mean? And yep. I think that was sort of where they got into trouble was when they were like, this is how it happened. And people were like, wait a second. Like, where did you get your information? In, in, in any case, like I, I have very little use for movies that are like based on a true story. And, and like, I, I never watch a movie looking for history. I'm looking for a good story. If it's a good story about something that happened, it only encourages, it should just encourage you to read more about it. But yeah, I, I understand the criticisms though. I mean, it's pretty blatant in places. We've done, this has been a recurring theme in over 200 rewatchables that we've done in some of them of the based on a true story. Uh -huh. Spotlight was probably about as faithful as any movie we've done. Mm -hmm. And even that one twisted some stuff around and merged some characters and things like that. There's just stuff you have to do. Uh, spoiler alert, this was going to come up later, but Alan Arkin's character doesn't actually exist in real life. Right. It was a couple of characters they merged together. Um, when you see based on a true story at the beginning of a movie, just assume it's based on a true story. Yeah. <laughs> like, we haven't done JFK yet. We're doing it later this year. <laughs> but JFK is the ultimate based on a true story. Sure. It's like, sure, it was... Uh, a president got murdered. That it had that in common. Other than that, he's just just cooking from that yeah. point on. Oliver Stone, right? So yeah, don't don't trust movies. I guess is uh, what we're trying to say. Great opening credit sequence. Mention that the soundtrack. Mm -hmm. They have little TNA. A couple of songs. There's a couple of songs that I think came out like too late. swing. I think is too late. But what you know? Again, what the hell? Dance the night away and when the levee breaks. But just four bangers. Uh huh. Um, I've never been. I I've never been precious about. Wait a second. That song came out November fourth, nineteen seventy nine, and Mendez was in there in July. Like, you know, I remember uh, my friend Jason Hare who did the Last Dance was fanatical about the music choices depending right. on the year, and my thing is if you're gonna go all in and do it, awesome. Like that's. You you should do it that way, but if you for a movie like this, if you're off by a year, who's or somebody scoring at home, right? Like oh, so it's a swing. It's a, took it's me a, out of it. Yeah, I took, it immediately thought it was eighty two. My God, uh, my last what's age the best was Scoot McDerry. Yes, I don't. Do you want to do this now? Well, I mean, so Scoot is probably like. I mean, I I, I was going to save this for some of the later categories, but Scoot's just incredible in this movie. He's like there there aren't very many like there's the guy who's going around to different houses, being like, "Have you seen these people?" But there isn't like a straight up like foil to Affleck except for Scoot. Like he has to basically be the person who's like, "I don't believe you can pull this off." He does it so well. I just wonder. Like my question is, at what point 
are you just like, Scoot, you got to shut the fuck up. You know what I mean? Like when he's just like, we're going to die here. We're going to get fucking killed. Wouldn't you just be like, man, <laughs> I need you to go with the program here. Scoot McNary, better, worse, or same career that he should have had? Because I'm going with worse. Uh, I like him more than the career he's had. He's like one of my favorite actors. So I don't know if I'm the right person to ask I, about that's this. That's why I'm asking you. So I just think you have to accept the fact that he's a character actor. Like he's not going to be Spider-Man. Um, I think he, where where we missed with him was he, I do think he could have been the lead that I kind of know who he is, but I didn't totally see him as a lead until I was watching this TV show that he became the lead of. And then it's like, wow, Scoot. I, all right, this is here's a parallel. And I'm not saying he's as good of an actor as this person because I think this other person is better. But Gandolfini. Mm -hmm. We had a history with Gandolfini before The Sopranos came out when he's the lead of The Sopranos. And it was like, wow, that guy's going to be the lead of a TV show? That's crazy. Right. But I also love James Gandolfini. It's like, you know, he had a couple of the all-timer 90s Deion Waiters performances, True right? Romance True Romance was like yeah. True Romance is like I would say a top five Deion Waiters performance ever, considering right. what he had to work with. So I wasn't like shocked when he became a phenomenon on Tony Soprano because it was like we, you know, yeah, you could see it. It's surprising that he's a leading man, but the guy is an amazing actor. I don't think Scoop McNair is that good, but I do feel like he could have had like a Tony Soprano type role where he could have moved into the vortex in a real way. And instead he's on the fringes, a lot of good supporting stuff. Yeah. I'll be curious to see what he, cause I think he's going to be in more of the next season of Narcos where he's like, I think he'll be more of like the star of that. It'll be cool to see him in that role. Like he's, he's done a lot of good stuff though. Like he was good in true detective. Yeah. Yeah, he has. I, here's my theory. I think his name kills him a little bit. Scoot. Yeah. I don't know. I want to live I think in a if world his name where a guy named Scoot is famous. No, I I agree with you. But if his name was Frank McNeary, I wonder if his <laughs> career is better. Scoot, it's like a little close to Skeet Ulrich. It's just, I I don't know. I, I love Scoot McNary though. I, and this is probably my favorite Scoot McNary movie. Any other would say the best for you? Uh, yeah, I mean, we talked about the 70s political thriller vibe. That's like, yep. and we, we talked about where he cribbed his uh, filmmaking and I talked a little bit about just the miracle of the fact that they've got three, basically, but two full ensembles in this movie of like, if you just were like, hey, this movie stars Titus Welliver and, and Zelko Ivanic and Kyle Chandler, you'd be like, I'm going to go see that. And then you're like, but it also stars Scoot McNary, Tate Donovan, and Cleo Duvall. You're like, oh shit, like I'll go see. There's 15 good people in this movie. We're going to take a break and, uh, and come back with what's age the worst. This episode is brought to you by Vital Farms. Vital Farms keeping it bull free. We always wanted our kids as they were growing up to have stuff that came from the right places. Vital Farms is perfect for this. Here's how good Vital Farms is. You can go to vitalfarms.com slash farm and you can get a 360 degree peek at the actual farm where your eggs came from. Uh, it's a certified B corporation. They are devoted to improving the lives of people, animals, and the planet through food, Great taste. You can do fried, poached, scrambled. Vital Farms bet you can taste the difference. Food simply tastes better when you know where it came from. Shop the farm that's a certified B Corporation and gives their hens the lifestyle they deserve. Vital Farms, 
Look for the black Vital Farms carton in your grocery store and learn more at vitalfarms.com. Vital Farms, keeping it bullshit free. All right, what stage is the worst? I also had this in what stage is the best. Ben Affleck's hair. It's just so terrible. It's it's really- So we're thinking, we're thinking wig there, right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think a normal human being could grow hair like that. Another what stage is the worst. When I saw this movie in the theater- I thought it was C. Thomas Howell instead of Scoot McNary for the first like 20 minutes. <laughs> I wasn't positive. I was like, did, did they DH C. Thomas Howell? What's going yeah, on? Yeah, they Irishman him. He looks so much like Scoot McNary. Um, all right, there's, a, there's some what's age the worst stuff with the, there's some pretty not so veiled racism with the, mm-hmm. with the Iranians where it's just like every, every Iranian character in this movie is just completely angry and, screaming and we don't it's a very really simplistic have, view of this yeah yeah we only really have the housekeeper is the only one who seems like right they have any sort of conscience there was also in very early whitewashing controversy with uh with affleck because yeah. tony mendez i think was half mexican right and people are upset that affleck grabbed the part but uh social media wasn't in the in the way it is now where people well, could Well, himself was like, I give this my blessing. I'm yeah. sure he was like pretty cool, like Ben Affleck plays me, but... In you know, 2021, yes. I still feel like people would be like, oh my God, oh, it's <laughs> the worst thing ever. Um, we mentioned Lester Siegel is not a real person. Argo's also been criticized, as we're talking about what's stage the worst, for minimizing the role of the Canadian embassy in the rescue. Mm-hmm. For falsely showing Americans were turned away by the New Zealand embassy and the British embassy, and by exaggerating basically everything that happens the day of the plane chase. And the big thing, if you take away anything from all the reading, if you ever want to do it, is just like Canada basically gets completely overlooked. It's yeah. like they do, they're doing the last dance and it would be 10 parts about Scottie Pippen, basically. Right. And, it was and like, it would that, be like that Jordan's, ambassador. Jordan's Canada and, and that. And then, no, care. it's like Canada gets Luke Longlead in this movie. <laughs> yeah, totally. But uh, they, so McLean's wrote, quote, the movie rewrites history at Canada's expense. Um, the guy Taylor, played by, uh, what's our guy's name? Who Victor plays Garber. Vic, yeah. The guy from Alias and everything. He's, yeah. the, he's supposedly the real hero of this movie. Tony Mendez was only in Iran for a day and a half. Affleck, here's his quote. I struggled with this long and hard because it cast Britain and New Zealand in a way that is not totally fair. But I was setting up a situation where you needed to get a sense that these six people had nowhere to go that doesn't mean to diminish anyone. He's just talking about Britain and New Zealand. The Ken Taylor, the Canadian guy, people were more mad about that. Jimmy Carter weighed in. Jimmy Carter says, 90% of the contribution to the ideas and the consummation of the plan was Canadian. Yeah. The movie gives almost full credit to the American CIA. With that exception, the movie is very good. But Ben Affleck's character in the film was only in Tyran a day and a half. And the main hero, in my opinion, was Ken Taylor, the Canadian ambassador. I mean, there's little things like also Carter didn't like pull the plug when they were in Tehran. He like momentarily pulled the plane tickets before the Mendez character even got to Iran, I think. Yes. So like there's just little things like that. And Taylor got awarded the Congressional Gold Medal by President Ronald Reagan in 1981. 
Nice one. In this in this movie, he's it's just like, oh, cool. Victor Garber gets a couple scenes. <laughs> we don't we don't really uh, don't really bang home uh, the Ken Taylor thing. What else age the worst for you? Anything other than Salt Sultans of Swing being yeah, a year late? I, I was gonna say yeah, that that's just unacceptable. If Knopfler's gonna make a song, you gotta you gotta be accurate with the year. No, I was also gonna say just the Spielberg endings, like where you're just like, yeah. oh right, great movie. Oh, we're and wait is. So we're going to Cranston. Okay. Okay. Cranston. Okay. We're done. We're end of the movie. And then he goes to his house and then there's like five end title cards. It just feels like he didn't want to let this one go. The daughter with the, or the, the estranged wife with the flag hug. And then the reading the sun. <laughs> just note to the directors out there. We're, we're good with watching the parent read to their son in their bedroom. We're just good. You could just, okay. they could have just ended it with Scoot McNary shaking Affleck's hand on the plane. Yeah, you yeah. and the celebration montage. That could have been it. Closing credits, we're good. Because we haven't really established enough of Tony Mendez's personal life anyway, yeah. other than that he likes he likes the sauce. Who doesn't? <laughs> I'll just tell you this. They won't have the, the reading the kid before he goes to bed stuff anymore because now you just throw an iPad at your kid. And That's right. You'd be like, hey, you going to bed soon? Casting what ifs. Really nothing except for the Clooney thing. I couldn't find anything either. That's that guy. AKA the Joey Pants Award. Um, First of all, this is an all-star team. Mm -hmm. Victor Garber. Do people know he's Victor Garber? I think they know him. I mean, he's, I think he's been on a lot of TV shows. He's been on Alias. He's in Sicario. Like, I think he's, I think he's like maybe a, a classic that guy, but many people do know him as Garber. I'm ruling him out because I do feel like he's, to me, he's Victor Garber. What about, is Bob Gunton too big for that Bob guy? Bob Gunton is Shawshank, who we now know he's Bob Gunton. Okay. Rory Cochran. Yeah. Mike from Dazed and, and Confused, who's yeah. like the most stone guy in that movie, which is really saying something. He's got the long hair. And he is now the kind of goofy guy with the mustache who's off. I don't know if he qualifies because he looks so different. You don't even realize it's Rory Cochran. I think for you, the you and happen. me and people of our generation, he's definitely like, we've known he's yeah. Rory Cochran. Yeah. So Zelko Ivanic is in this too. I don't, he's too big. But he's to the me, bad he's guy like, on the first season of 24, right? Yeah, he's 24. Oz has a great run on Oz. Yeah. And then he's the guy from, from School Ties. That's right. That's right. He's, he's the big. evil he- evil teacher guy. They take they steal his car. So the winner is Christopher Denham is Mark. Mark okay. is one of the six. You've seen him. He goes on to do billions with our friend Koppelman and Levine. Um, he's the guy who cut he's kind of like the wolf in billions. He's the guy who comes in and to fix stuff. Um to fix stuff. And he's just one of those guys. And I never knew his name until I researched it. His name is Christopher Denham. Okay. I think he's our winner. I like Are you him, good with yeah. that? Yeah, I'm good. Did I was you know his say, name was Christopher Denham? I I do only from watch it. Like I think I knew because like, I've seen him in a couple of indie movies. I was the only other person I would put up for this is Richard Kind, who's the guy who they buy. Yeah, he's Argo Richard from, Kind, though. I think Richard people kind. know who he is. Yeah. The Vincent Hanna, give me all you got a word for overacting. <laughs> you tell your people to call the White House, do your fucking job. <laughs> Brian Cranston just it was like he knew that this was a category nine years later. He just goes for it. <laughs> I know. And you One don't decide if it goes. House mirror. It is going. Jack, you are this close. Am I? Am I really that close? You are this goddamn close. I'm not gonna leave him at the airport with six people and his dick in his hand. You tell the director to call the White House. Do your fucking job! 
Unbelievable. Thousand up to 20. The Judd Nelson Award for a person who's in a different movie. I guess Affleck's wife. She's in a different... She's in basically American Sniper. She's in Orange is the New Black. She's like the star of that movie, of that show. She definitely is like... I'm not letting this scene go by without getting like a long close up and a hug because yeah. I've been cut out of this entire movie. Yeah, I'm. I am really <laughs> going to study your face, Tony Mendez. Dion Waiters award. So, are we saying Goodman, Arkin, and Brian Cranston are eligible for Dion Waiters? Because I feel like they should be. They're in the movie less than 15 minutes, right? I I will allow it, but I also have other candidates. Are the Argo Six not eligible? No, they're in too much in the movie. They're in half. They're the in movie. too much in the movie. Titus Welliver is eligible. Mm-hmm. Kyle Chandler also eligible, although it's not the greatest Kyle Chandler performance. Also, he puts on a ton of weight. I don't know if that was makeup or what. Cranston Goodman Arkin. Who else do you have? Uh, Philip Baker Hall, uncredited cameo. Uncredited. Of just like, are you? This is the. Are you sure this is the the best bad idea that we have? You know, like yeah. Uh, and uh, Ali Sam is the guy who's going around being like, have you seen these people and making everybody like piece together the printouts of their pictures. I like the British Secret Service officer a lot. That guy who gets the one scene in, mm. the, in Turkey, uh, Richard Delane. But it's obviously going to be probably Arkin or Goodman. I think it's Arkin. Well, I don't know. What do you think? Well, Arkin got nominated for an Oscar. Is so that too much to be Dion? Then can you get a Dion if you're also getting an Oscar? I think we break. I think we break the rule here. I think it goes to both of them. Okay, can't pick. They're they're two. They're a team in this. They have to be together. I think we've done that a couple times in the past. Recasting couch. I'm pretty proud of this idea. Okay. I think I'm going to be able to talk you into it. I think Matt Damon, Casey Affleck, and Cole Hauser all could have been in the in the Argo Six. Okay. I I don't care if they look exactly like these people do at the passports and the closing credits. I think Christopher Denham easily you could have slid Casey Affleck into that spot. Yeah, Cole Hauser put a goofy mustache on him. That guy doesn't really say that much anyway. Just have him do a little wild eyed, and then we throw Damon in there, but we somehow keep Scoot McNary. And then we have the two ladies and we're good to go. I mean, why right? stop here, Bill? Why not go Wahlberg and DiCaprio? I mean, let's just get the fucking departed cast in. There. I just wanted, just wanted the good little hunting crew. At minimum, Casey Affleck should have been snuck into this movie. Just just slid in I, as one I, of I the watched six. Gone Baby I don't know Gone why the other night. I don't know why you're resisting. Oh, for rewatchables? Yeah. It's too dark. Are you with me on that recasting couch or no? Yes, I am. That's very fun. I, I mean, what the hell? Like, why not? Half-assed internet research. According to Tony Mendez, Studio Six, the phony production company, was so convincing that after it had folded, 26 strips scripts were delivered to the address, including one from Steven Spielberg. That's how well they did. 2016, Vice did some research based on the Freedom of Information Act, found that the CIA was involved in the production of Argo. And, uh, and Zero Dark Thirty as well. This one I was shocked by. Bootleg DVDs in Iran yeah. were so popular. Several hundred thousand bootleg copies of this movie and it became really one of the highest kind of watched movies in the country. And people think it's a combo of like um, 
it's the most like realistic. Hate, it's like a hate watch, but it's also like a curiosity thing. Yeah. Yeah. Combined with like kind of a silent protest a little bit sure. too. There's a bunch of different reasons. Um, Carter only delayed the authorization by 30 minutes. It was well before Mendez had left for Europe. So they really bent some stuff around there. Um, they got after the, your boy, Jimmy. Yeah. The chase sequence never happened. We mentioned the Led Zeppelin thing. Affleck did the thing where the six actors, he asked them to dress in character with their stuff on for a week and just and hang out together, so right? they could have yeah. chemistry. Yeah. So he did that thing. And then, uh, the character Jack Kirby, who made the storyboards, was the was like a pioneer in the comic industry, which I don't know. Yeah, he's one of the enough about, most famous he's like one of the comic OGs. book artists. Yeah, Apex Mountain. Wait, I got one more. I got oh, one go. more. It half his internet research. If you read the original Wired article, do you know where this the the Studio Six offices were? No, Sunset Gower. What? Yeah, <laughs> they. I used- wonder what part. Michael Douglas's vacated uh, China Syndrome article uh, offices. Is that in the courtyard? I don't know. Jesus. Amazing stuff. Need to find out more about this. Uh, All right, we're going to take one more break and then we're going to do Apex Man. This episode is brought to you by Sonic. You know what sounds good after a long day? Ice cream. I love ice cream. Right now is the perfect time to get some. Sonic has half-price shakes every night after 7 p.m. When you order online or in the app, just think of it, all that creamy, soft serve, hand-mixed with your favorite flavors for half the price in any size. Listen, a lot of people like goofy shakes. I like vanilla shakes. You can throw 40 flavors at me. You know what I'm going to order? You know what I love the most? Vanilla shakes. It's perfect because me and my family, at least once a week, we still all get ice cream together when we're together. Grab Sonic Half Price Shakes after 7 p.m. now. Exclusions apply. Available for a limited time only at participating Sonic Drive-Ins. Apex Mountain. Affleck? (laughs) Wins the Oscar. Also becomes a sympathetic figure, which was even better than not getting nominated. Um, Pulls it off. The comeback is complete. He's about to do a Fincher movie. When has he ever had more juice? I'm going to say yes. And then he gets Batman off the back of all that. So he basically goes, Gone, baby, yes. gone. You were like, oh, that's a good movie. The Town, huge blockbuster, great yeah. movie. And he builds off of that, wins Oscar. Like the world's at his feet here. And then he does a Fincher movie off of a bestseller. So yeah, totally. Apex Mountain for Affleck. Scoot McNary? Yeah, I would probably say so. I say as well. Alan Arkin? Nah, Little Miss Sunshine. When are we doing that one? I haven't watched that since it was like an Oscar movie. That's a good example of a movie that wins an Oscar and you're like, okay, I don't have to, I'm never going to watch that again. Producer Craig, Little Miss Sunshine, where do you stand on the movie? I've only seen it once, but I remember really liking it. I think that's like the perfect independent movie. I might like it more than most people. I think that movie is so fucking funny and... I don't know. That's everything I want from a movie that probably costs like $720,000 to make or whatever they did. Um, John Goodman, no. Movies or TV shows about the Iran hostage crisis. I'm going to say yes. Yeah. I would probably, there, has there been any others? No, probably not. Um, the other five people, not Scoop McNary and the Argo Six. I'm going <laughs> to say yes. 
Um, yeah, Tate Donovan's Apex Mountains, probably friends, right? No, Tate Donovan's OC, season one of the OC. Wait, you don't? Didn't he, wasn't he dating Aniston at a certain point and like on Friends? Well, he dated Aniston and Sandra Bullock back to back. Yeah. No, it's it's OC. He's Jimmy Cooper. If Juliet okay. was here right now, she would slap you across the face and be <laughs> furious. <laughs> She'd be very upset. Um, any other Apex Mountain? No, I think Affleck was the one I wanted to. I was I was most was most important to get across. Oh, Cranston. No. Breaking Bad. Yeah, but you could argue Breaking Bad's about to... Breaking Bad is gaining viewers each year. It's headed toward its season finale, which was in, I think, 2013. Right? This is when everybody's catching up on Interesting. It, on and he's, and all, all like he's in Network He's in Argo. On, on now Broadway. he's establishing himself as a movie actor. I actually think it is. Because I think Breaking Bad's at the point now where everybody knows how great it is. Because we're You've going into the final two years. seasons. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, okay. I think it is. I'm going, yes. The CIA? Did it ever get better? <laughs> <laughs> Coming off killing JFK 15 years ago? Great comeback for them. That's true. They had some rough moments there in the Vietnam War. <laughs> Yeah, they started a war and killed our president. You know, but they didn't people, actually do anything in this situation. They like, Mendes was like they didn't fuck it up. <laughs> they sent somebody. Is this the apex mountain for exfils? So what's what is Russell Crowe doing? Proof of life K and A. Would it be weird if we did the reproof of life? <laughs> <laughs> the reproof. <laughs> I just watched it. Stuff of legends. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that movie so much. X-Fils. I don't know why. Are, who else does X-Fills? Craig, what's an X-Fill? I don't know. Do you know what it stands for? No. Exfiltration. They're trying to exfiltrate uh, rather than infiltrate. Yeah. X-Fills. Yeah. Technically, they're doing an exfiltration. They're supposed to be exfilling people in Predator. But obviously, they get sidetracked. I remember in 2015 when we had to hire some X-Fills to get people out of ESPN. It was tough. <laughs> A lot of meetings. <laughs> Had to create a fake movie. That's right. <laughs> Picking nits. Here, here, we mentioned all the uh, plot stuff. The real Tony Mendez was five foot seven and apparently not a supermodel. And they're saying, like, not only was Affleck too handsome, but also the fact that he was six foot four would have been just a red flag across the board for people in in, in Iran. Yeah, they would have been yeah. like, what's Bill Walton doing here? Yeah. So they he just would have been on the radar immediately, I think. Also, um, there's I have some Swiss Air questions. Oh, like whether or not they have to turn around at all? Or whether that guy should have noticed all the cars coming at him? Yeah, it's just that there's some questions. <laughs> Let like, me hear could, them. Couldn't they have radioed the plane and said, stop the fucking plane? Or but that didn't happen down? anyway. But yeah, of course. Right. Yes. Um, when the cars are going behind them, don't they notice the cars? Wouldn't they have shot at the plane? I guess he doesn't have side view mirror. Well, they don't want to start an international incident. They just want these guys back. They just want the the six back, right? Yeah. And then um, I think this is the right spot to do it. The stuff with the housekeeper. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like it's tacked on? I either needed more or less. Because yeah. at the end, she goes, she, she goes to Iraq. crosses over to Iraq. 
And I guess I'm supposed to say, thank God she held the fort for these people. But it feels like there's a scene cut. I don't have enough. They come together and she basically, or they come to find out if people are there and she basically covers up for them. Right. And then she's, I think that you're supposed to leave that Iraq scene being like, for a lot of people, this did not work out. You know, for his triumph. But I needed her, I needed a better reason for her to cover up for everybody. So I needed like a scene before they come to find out if the people are there where she's... Like to show her kind of interaction with the Canadian yeah, family? Yeah, some sort of connection with the six. Right. Like they invite her to sit down, they ask her questions, anything, even if it's two minutes where I'm like, oh, now I get it. Right. Well, I guess that's the whole point of the movie is that it's pretty, it's pretty forward momentum. They don't stop a lot. Because the first time you watch it, you don't even know who that is. Uh-huh. Doesn't, it's not really... Uh, that actress yeah. actually voices the opening credit sequence with the the sort of presentation about the history of Rand. Any other nitpicks? We've covered all the rest of them. Yeah, I have one that I think is, you could, you could call it a possibly unanswerable question, but I wanted to pitch you this. Is this movie better in retrospect if it treats the exfil the way Goodfellas treats the Lufthansa heist? Where basically you don't see it. So everything about the exfil is DC... And we get way more Hollywood stuff, but you never get into the faking a bunch of they're out. Yeah, like faking car chases and and like the threat that wasn't there. But you have all of the political wrangling and then all the Hollywood stuff. Like if if you could do it again, would you make it that way and not have it be historically inaccurate the way it is? No, I like the historically inaccurate stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I just think not enough people take advantage of like the trick Goodfellas plays where they're just you just don't see the heist. I think we would have seen the heist if it wasn't expensive to do the heist. Like maybe Den of Thieves. You shouldn't have shown the heist, you know? I just want to spend more time at Benny Hanna. <laughs> well, Heat, would you have wanted the 10 minute bank robbery scene? Because I still want it. I don't yeah, know. I'm, I'm good I'm with it. It's fine. Yeah. Still signing up for that. Um I my other nitpick is just I feel like Nightline should have been more important. They, it should have been on in the background a couple like more it's, times. It's more of a ticker. Yeah, I, I like yeah. that. I also would have thrown in the uh, 79 baseball all-star game, which was an iconic game. <laughs> which would have had somebody at least being like, wow, did you see that Dave Parker throw? That was from right field. Jesus, what a cannon that guy has. All right, here's a really important question. Next category. Could this be remade as a 10-episode Netflix show? Because so, this movie won the Oscar. It's tough to say, no, no, it would have been better off as a Netflix show. But it actually would have been an amazing Netflix show. If we yeah. had all the actors we have in this, we just had more time to spend. I still vote for a movie, but I think it would have been a really good Netflix show. Would you still have the uh, the embassy takeover happen in like the first scene? Or would you have that happen at like the end of the first episode? No, that's like, that's episode like two or three. Okay. Yeah, okay. we're, 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 we're embedded with these people as they start to get more and more concerned that something might happen. To me, it's like a, it's like a homeland season. I would love to just know there's definitely moments like even that like bit where Kyle Chandler's like this guy's planting flags on his lawn every day that they're hostages. And when he gets, when he runs out of flags, Ted Kennedy's going to win the primary. Like I would have loved to have a whole episode about the political, the political storyline behind everything and like Carter running for real Yeah, they could have gotten into a lot of Carter stuff. Even so Hamilton, Jordan, like that kind of yeah, stuff, I think yeah. would have really worked. Yeah. I bet we'll see. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw it in the next 10 years because it's such a great story. Um, probably unanswerable questions. 
Is this movie better if George Clooney is Tony Mendez? Let's just answer it now. Not, no, it's not. I think Affleck's really good in this. Is this movie better if it's Casey Affleck as Tony Mendez? I don't think Casey Affleck is like, it, it, especially in 2012, did not seem old enough to pull off this guy. All right, so we think Ben Affleck is... Would it be better? Would, 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 what about Mendez as Damon? Damon as Mendez. No, I, I don't think Damon could have... No, okay. I don't see it. There's like, who's Tony Mendez now if they're making this in 2021? I don't know. I mean, it depends on whether or not they're going to adhere to like... Oh, yeah, trying to make it... ethnic background. Um, I think they would at this point. Any other unanswerable questions for you? Like, do you think... Who do you think you would be of the six? Like, what would your vibe be? So are you Scoot? Are you immediately questioning everything and smoking a lot? Are you Tate Donovan, maybe listening to too much Zeppelin, drinking a little too much scotch? Are you are you Clea Duvall and just so I, watching the, out for what other people are doing? The big thing for me would be like, why didn't you use your real name right away? How come you were Harkins? Right. Well, you're supposed to have a legend if you're a spy. You can't, you're not supposed to use your so real name. So I'd be like, what's going on here? Why should we trust you? I would have been like, can you tell me about some of your other missions? <laughs> Give me like three successes. Can we just okay. go backwards? They're classified. I can't tell you about that. Like if David Kahn shows up and he's like, I'm here to save your NBA franchise. Come with me. Just give me a couple of like, you Can you tell me some other stuff you did? And just then the last like, five transactions. Yeah. Right? I ran yeah. a CBA team in 2005. Uh, I was a sports writer. You're like, wait a second. You can't run my team. Um, I probably would have, I would have been more like, hey, tell me more about yourself. I would have been trying to get more information. Do you think that you could learn a new identity in 30 hours? So I thought about this because I would... I don't know how you would handle it, but I would have crammed everything the night before. Sure. I wouldn't I mean, have been like learning night, over the yeah. next three days. Yeah. Yeah. I would have, I would have waited till like one o'clock, but like, all right, I got to fucking learn my thing now. All right. So I'm, <laughs> what else were you doing? Were you watching director. the fucking MLB well, All-Star I mean, game? When the levy breaks, I'm just <laughs> listening to that over and over again. You're smoking. Send me yeah. that All-Star game. Maybe get watch some highlights. <laughs> sure. Maybe the draft's happening. Try to figure out what the Celtics did. Um, what piece of memorabilia would you want from this movie? Scoot's glasses. Alan Arkin's gold Rolls Royce. Rolls Royce. Yeah, it's pretty. Nice is too. the most seventies. It's just out of control. I can't. It's like out of Charlie's Angels or any like twenty shows that I watched in nineteen seventy nine. It's perfect. I'd pick that. It's also an expensive car, but yeah, if we're going going cheaper, it would be fun to have like the Argo script, the original Argo. Oh yeah, script that would be cool. Storyboards would be cool. You could frame them the storyboards on your wall. What's that? Who won the movie? So, obviously, like, Affleck, I think Affleck wins the movie. Would you make the argument for Arkin? I think Affleck wins the movie. Okay. But I think... I mean, he directed and stars in the movie. He won the movie. Do people... What What is the cutoff for people with Alan Arkin? I think like most people holding him in the right esteem. Is it like people under 35 don't get it? Like what what age? I think would most it be? people like Craig's age probably if they know him, they know him from this in Little Miss Sunshine. But I have to admit, like, I'm not like an Alan Arkin historian personally. I know him from those two movies. Okay. Let's see. Can I give you a little movie called The In-Laws? Sure. That's where I know him. That's I think a late 70s comedy that became like a real legitimate cult 
comedy in a lot of different ways. And that's that's when he was on the radar. But you're right. Like you go through his IMDb in the 80s and it's kind of all over the place. Um, it, he's one of those guys that later in his career f- fell into who he was. And then I think Little Miss Sunshine bought him this extra like eight years of this incredible old guy comic relief stuff sure. that was really great. But And now he's on like Kaminsky method, right? Or he yeah. was? Yeah. No, he still is. His performance of Little Miss Sunshine is an all-timer for that I decade. can't believe this is like, the, this. Like I thought you would be like, CR, we got to do like 21 Bridges. I can't believe Little Miss Sunshine is coming, coming for like the rewashables gold. You'd want to do 21 Bridges? But I would do I would do 21 episodes of 21 Bridges. I, I need it. I I'll I'll watch that a couple more times. That 21 like, Bridges is such a rewatchable. It's fucking crazy. Chadwick. It's like they created it to be a rewatchable. Yes. Den of Thieves, they also tried, but then they made a couple of mistakes. But 21 Bridges is just also flat just out. like absolutely like like afterburners on Dion Waiter's performance from Taylor Kitsch. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um all right, I have Affleck winning it. Well, I've, that's it. Argo, it's classic. Right now, it is on Amazon Prime. It was it's, yeah, it it's had on an Cinemax. HBO Max run, and yeah. now all of a sudden it moved over to Isn't Amazon. Isn't it crazy but, how those HBO Max or Netflix runs just like will unlock a movie for you? Yeah, especially they're really smart at promoing the the right ones in the right yeah. spots. They know what they're doing. They're like, yeah. hey, we have the town, and they fucking whip it out, and they just drop <laughs> it on the table. <laughs> <laughs> and like, come get some. It's the town for the next 30 days. Here we go. All right, that's it for the rewatchables. It was produced by our guy Craig Horlbeck. Uh, we'll be back next week. Thanks to Chris Ryan. And uh, we will see you next time.